Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. My name is Andre and uh, I'm here with Vonch and today we are going to do our First uh, dedicated grass court season episode. How are you doing, man? Doing good, Andre. Yeah, really excited to come here and talk a lot of tennis with you. And, you know, as you know, the grass court season is is pretty short, but this was really a, a comprehensive week of tennis for pretty decently big tournaments and a lot of top players in them and some good data gathering, especially for, for Wimbledon, which is just around the corner in about a week. So, yeah, super excited to talk about it all. Nice. Uh, and uh, yeah, like a, a few good things happened. Uh, I think probably the first good sign was Alcaraz playing finally some good tennis on grass. As in, not that he's played terribly in the past, but now it seems like to actually starting to figuring it out, like how to play better, which is funny because he's his, uh, had this quote that he was saying that he was um, watching videos of Federer and Murray playing and trying to adapt some of that game. Uh, somebody made a comment that he watched youtube tutorials to play on grass and won it so that was kind of a hilarious thing to me but like i mean i think it kind of proves a point about i guess how um malleable Alcras is like in his learning process like he is able to you know just be very open about the way that he plays which i think is like a really good lesson for any player like you know just to be open to changes and tweaks on their game and seeing what what works for them because like yeah obviously He's not going to be able to play exactly like Roger or exactly like Murray. And he shouldn't because he's probably going to fail if he tries because every player has like their own identity. But you can always like learn new things, right? So I feel like it's... And with the wealth of uh, video footage and slow-mo shots of like so many matches from Alcra- from um, Murray and Federer and uh, even Djokovic or Nadal... Um, it, he's definitely sh- he definitely should be doing that. So yeah, I'm kind of yeah. really glad that he's won Queens. Yeah, it was uh, you know it was a pretty impressive week all round, and I, I echo everything you said about his learning abilities and his just his he's like a sponge when it comes to absorbing information and learning on the fly very quickly, making making the necessary grass court adjustments that he needed to make. He has a big setup on the forehand. Um, which you know, which is why he does very well at slow clay, and he's done mm. pretty well in hard courts in general and on grass. Coming in this week, he was just four and two, like lifetime. So he just played. Basically, we just had the two Wimbledon appearances: one in twenty twenty one, where he lost to Medvedev in the second round, and he was barely eighteen at the time. And then, of course, last year where he came in with a bit of an injury, skipped Queens, you know, had like a difficult first round against Struff, and then Sinner just really rushed him, and Sinner looked like he was more comfortable moving and. That's the biggest takeaway, I think, for me this week is that how 
quickly Alcaraz became learned to become a good mover because earlier in the in, in this week, I mean, yeah, you mentioned the Federer Murray videos. That was pretty revealing because he also said that uh, I I would look at Djokovic, but I don't want to because I can't slide on the surface like him. Really? I think he's talking about those open stance backhands, which he's very comfortable doing on clay, especially on the defense. And there's there's some similarities there in terms of how they defend, you know, both on hard courts and clay. But I guess on grass, when it's very slippery and it's just very difficult to get your footing, I feel like Alcaraz found that throughout the whole week. And that, that was really the key because if you look at the rest of his game, uh, one, I feel like he's really beefed up that first serve. He's serving consistently 130, 135 into the body, hitting his spots a little bit better. Like every time this week when he was down break points, came up with big serves. And it was like 136, 135, 134, boom, game over, break points erased. And that was that was such a feature of his game along with the improved movement uh, this week. And I think it all goes back to his first round actually against Rind Arthur Vindanesh. Mm-hmm. And that's a player who's obviously, yeah, he's a big six foot five French player, loves to come forward, like will basically charge to the net on almost anything semi short. And he's just going to pounce and just attack right away. Honey of serving and volleying. And that was a that was a tough first round for Alcaraz because he was just rushed and he was having to change directions very quickly. And just like Rinderdesh was hitting behind him, and Alcaraz didn't look that comfortable moving. And he lost that first set and he was within points of losing the match. He was serving to stay in the match at 4-5 in the second set and in the third set as well. In both those games, he managed to hold and then just played a very good game to break at 5-all. And then, you know, eventually he won it basically in a, in a really good tiebreak. And his tiebreak record is immaculate in deciding set tiebreaks. And it showed once again, it was, reminded me of those classic type of matches where Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, Murray, like these guys, like sometimes they play an early round opponent who, you know, they're not at their best level, they're, they're far yeah. from their best game, and they just manage to, you know, barely get by, and it, it's it's ugly a lot of the times, and it's not the most pretty tennis, but when it really comes, they stand up on their game, and then as they as round by round, they just keep getting better and elevate their level, and I feel like Alcaraz just he grows so much in confidence, like he almost, he just figured out, he just immersed himself in, into figuring out the surface, he wasn't really even thinking about winning the title, I felt oh. like coming into this week, even though like on paper, like he, he was probably the favorite, but it's like you know, there were still some good grass court players he had to go through in this field. I mean, you talk about after that he played, I think, Yuri Lahechka, and that was more straightforward. But then what really impressed me is those wins against Dimitrov and then Korda. Korda, especially, that's where he played his best match. I mean, just phenomenal. You looked at this, look at the stats. This is a guy who's like super hyper aggressive a lot of the times, but he really like reined it in, played patient when he had to, and he plays really bold tennis on, on big points and my goodness, like that offensive intent, it really pays off on grass because he's so good at coming forward, closing off volleys at the net, and he he takes the ball very early anyway on his forehand. And it, I don't think uh, slice really bothers him as well. I, I was watching the Dimitrov match, and the, just the way he's able to accelerate with that lively arm on the forehand, the yeah. racket head speed through the court. I mean, he's just able to do everything. I, f- I feel like it's all about the movement. Um, and I think that's why I feel like maybe there might be a slight adjustment at Wimbledon. You know, maybe he might struggle in the first couple of rounds. Who knows? It's because, you know, he's likely not going to play many matches this week. And, you know, if he, if he just gets a red-hot opponent, maybe maybe the first couple of rounds could be tricky. But especially in the second week, like, watch out. Because, you know, that's when the court also starts playing more like a hard court. It starts wearing off a little bit the grass. And uh, that's when he really starts to find his his groove again. So I thought it was really, really impressive. I mean, this was his third tournament on grass and now he's just won a 500. 
He's won a title now on all three surfaces. He's won 11 titles already in his young career. And his his year so far is remarkable because obviously we, we know what happened at the at Roland Garros where he, you know, the nerves and the cramping and all that stuff that, that happened. And we were we were kind of robbed of a really good high-quality match after the second set when it was one set all. And, you know, nobody knows really, like, what would have happened. Probably, you know, Novak was looking like slightly the better player, but you just never know. Like, it was one set all, one all in the third. And for Alcaraz to recover so quickly from that and come back and do what he did this week at, at his age, like, that's pretty impressive. And Ferrero, his main coach, wasn't even in the box uh-huh. a lot of the time. So, I mean, not at all this week. He just wasn't present. So he was with... He was with a, with another coach. Um, yeah. I'm forgetting his name now, but somebody will probably remind me on Twitter. But like, it was uh, you know, it just it just shows like he's able to problem solve in the moment and just has all these tools like so complete. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I was just gonna say I, re- I was really liking how he was hitting his forehand mainly just because like I thought that's like when he was paying off like his maybe he's watching of like Roger Federer playing because I I kind of got a lot of it like in. And and the way that he was hitting it, like, just I always found that his forehand like look a little bit more like Federer's, like in general, just because of the arm extension and just like the the just like the follow through and just the way that he's his, his balance like was really shot. yeah he exactly like an approach shot and and he loves going down the line on the approach and Federer it looks very yeah like, it was it looks like really gracious as well just like the technique is so clean yeah. I feel like it's really similar in that in that regard maybe the take back is is different obviously but like the follow through is like very similar so I was really liking how he was hitting it like flat and when when I was watching him against Dimitrov I thought he was taking the ball on the rise uh, cross court really well and I think that's like one of the things like um bothered Grigor uh, the most because like, he wasn't really able to because um, Grigor likes to play long points that's probably like one of his um, his problems I guess like when he meets like players like that who are able to like um, just be aggressive like off of like many shots it kind of breaks rhythm a bit um, yeah. and he has that good backhand slice and it stays very low yeah you know, he can actually challenge Alcaraz, I feel like, in the athleticism yeah, department. That exactly. I feel so like he, it's, Grigor is like the, yeah, I think Grigor is like a player that he has all the shots. I think he's just like, his biggest problem is sometimes his ups and downs in matches are like too, yeah. they're too significant. Like he, he played like too a... much of a delta. And, yeah. And that's, yeah. that's what happens. Like he was just throwing a really bad game. He yeah. He'll fall two or just, three times. And... Just the first game of the match, like he was, he lost the first point and like, hit like three aces and then like hit three double faults like right away. It's like, okay, that's like <laughs> Grigor's, Grigor's matches as in a nutshell. Like when he's like his, his best, like is obviously like one of the best players on tour, like former world number three, uh, has won this title before, has been a semifinalist in the Australian Open and won the World Two finals before. So, he, you know he's got he's got what he takes, and I think he's really um athletic as you said. And I I even tweeted it that like I feel like Grigor if he got his head like um in the game like the entire way through, I feel like he could he could have won that match against Carlos like with some comfort, not exactly like full comfort. I felt like he could have just been like um I don't know like a seven six six four or like a three setter in which like you would like maybe get a break and um and just win like a 6-3 in the third I think it, it, it was a possibility but I may have underestimated like how Carlos was how well Carlos was playing on grass this week um I was coming off of just watching him playing Hinden Natch as well so I thought well maybe his maybe his his quality of on grass is still not quite there but like he obviously like show 
how much he he learned um just yeah. out, out of that single match he was able to you know get his footing on grass like so quickly it's it's yeah. it's not a good sign for a lot of people uh going into Wimbledon but yeah, yeah. the match match is is a good sign in the sense that like who knows maybe he's gonna play at that level and like be a little bit off balance and like a, a player that like plays like a really solid match I don't know he gets like um fired up Maxime Cressy maybe he's gonna have to go through like in three tie breaks <laughs> who knows yeah I haven't we haven't actually seen Alcaraz play like a you know mega or exclusive big serve yeah player yeah on grass that would be that would be kind of fun to watch yeah. just because yeah. of the contrast and you know that's the other thing I feel like Alcaraz is just protecting his serve a lot better than he yeah. was and say like this time last year as well actually it's just you know really up to serving I, I feel like that's maybe the biggest thing is like his ability to like not panic in the moment like I feel like at times last year between Madrid and the US Open that's when he was kind of like really feeling the pressure and you know he was just leaking a few too many errors he was you know losing a few too many service games playing over hyperly aggressive at times where he just you know needed to just build a point a little bit more and not be so ambitious I feel like he found that balance much better this week because he, he started to also mix in the backhand slice. That was huge. I saw a stat from Tennis TV, actually, in Roland Garros. 18% of his backhands were backhand slice. Uh-huh. Um, in this tournament, 45%. Well, So that tells you, oh my goodness. And and, that, and I also saw... That's tactics. More that's really good. Block returns. And, you know, a bit like how actually uh, how Murray used to do. Like on his forehand, he would just block the return back, yeah. reflect all the pace from the big server, you know, make make the other player, like, create something and come forward and... He's so good when it comes to passing shots and just those. Uh, the drop shot doesn't work quite as well. I feel like on the surface he wasn't using it a ton, but when he did, it was, you know, so I was obviously very well executed. Yeah. Um. It was. It had some good disguise. It was. It was tough, and I actually thought the hurdle where he might fall this week was going to be Korda. Mm-hmm. I, I I had a feeling like just before that match, I'm like Alcaraz better play his A plus game because if he doesn't, Sebastian Korda is a guy like talk about a guy who's comfortable on grass. Yeah. This guy is. Like, I mean, I mean, he's got all the tools, right? Like a flat ground strokes, a big yeah, serve. Like it, it's awesome. Like the two hander is great for grass. The, yeah, and I would say even like the two hander Sparta hits is on grass. Maybe is better than Alcaraz because I feel like Alcaraz is like his Achilles heel in a way because I think that's the shot that can not let him down, but he won't normally always be as aggressive off of the backhand can sometimes throw in a few loopy ones even though they're going to be deep i feel like it's 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 the moment where he can lose the um the you know the control of the rally he can like become a more neutral zone if you play to his yeah. back end he but, likes to run around it and hit forehands inside out from that corner yeah protect that mm-hmm. a bit more it's still a you know he can still do some plus one damage off of it yeah. and you know like we saw him do on clean and stuff but that's why i love the slice because that just oh yeah just brings his forehand into play more and it's like yeah. You know, whereas, whereas I, yeah, like players, players like, I mean, Korda, Medvedev, Zverev, Djokovic, like, I mean, they would just take that two-hander on the rise and probably just sweetly time it down the line, especially Korda, like, his doesn't have huge backswings and he stays very close to the yeah. baseline when he's hitting and it's very compact stroke production. So if, I, I thought that might throw Alcaraz. It's a very Agassi style. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I just, I, I, I'm just really glad to see that was one of my takeaways from this week, like that Korda run to the semis. I was like, oh my God, I missed this guy because... He had, he was one of the three best players in Australia. Like entire month of January, he just he really brought it until that wrist injury in yeah. the quarterfinals. 
And then he just like he wasn't able to play the entire like three four months after, and then yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a wrist injury, right? It's like really, yeah. kind of have to be really careful with those. So, anyways, yeah, no, it's yeah. bad. I, I hope he can make a deep run along with yeah. uh, along with Tiafo also because Tiafo won a title the week before. And they actually played each other, and it was like a it was a good two set match. But I thought, uh, man, like either one of those guys, like if that's a quarterfinal or something, I wouldn't be too shocked. I don't mm. because. Yeah, I don't know who else is like really that much of a contender. That's why, like, you know, people were saying over and over, like, Alcaraz didn't play a top 10 player, but I'm like, yeah, but, you know, he played guys who were very good on grass. Divinor, Korda, Dimitrov, these guys are not in the top 10, but they've all been in the second big world, and they're all fairly comfortable. Divinor's won titles before on 250s on grass. He's been to the fourth round. And to be fair, like, I feel like on, on grass, um, it, it makes a lot more sense than on the other surfaces to say like, um, oh yeah, but he's really good on grass because grass is like would have meant yeah. like let's just say I don't think it would have meant that much of let's say he beat Tsitsipas again or he beat Medvedev yeah. again or yeah. something like that. He didn't really need to do that to me exactly to prove that oh he's worthy of this. Yeah, because I feel like the the grass season is so short and there is so few time so little time to learn how to play well on grass because that. When when players are really good on grass, they stand out, even though th their ranking really doesn't show. I feel like that's the the biggest disparity between rankings and, and level and surface on, not surface level, but like you know what I mean, like the level on a specific surface. Yeah, that's why the, the grass one, the grass court, yeah, there's so many years, right? They, they would take the results from the past two years, then like your your best result at Wimbledon and like times seventy five, like they had some kind of a formula, but yeah. like they just had seeds. They got rid of that in twenty twenty one, but yeah. I mean, I can I'm not see, sure if I, I, like, yeah. I had it because it it does make a lot of sense, like to to think of it. Like it it felt it definitely feels um a little bit of like an arrogance ranking, like in a sense, like from Wimbledon to do that. But at the same time, a lot of people even say like instead of like taking it off of Wimbledon, why just don't don't we edit it edit for like the French Open as well or something like yeah. of the like? Because like it it would it makes some sense like in that regard because. Um, yeah, the clay also the makes that like for the clay, you also have like the altitude clay versus the sea level clay, yeah. and, and you have like. So I guess I could see it, yeah. But, yeah, but my goodness, like I mean, yeah, just just like his ability to learn so quickly, like, you know, before this week, if you would have asked me, like, you know, is he like the second or third favorite? I probably would have said maybe, but like, like very hesitantly, like I wouldn't have put him at yeah. the second favorite mark. I'd put it like fourth or third. I don't yeah. even know who the yeah. second favorite would be, but. <laughs> I don't either, and I would have, I would have maybe thought Bentadev, but then you know, like I, like after this week, now I can be like, okay, like Djokovic, clear cut number one favorite, like against the whole field, like it's his to lose. But then after that, I'm like, I don't know if there's anyone better than Alcaraz. Yeah, and that sounds crazy for a guy who's only played eleven matches. Yeah, his whole career on grass. But I'm like, I would still I would see an yeah. element for anyone yeah. else. I do. I definitely give Alcaraz the number two position favorite, but I, I do feel like Djokovic is. Is still too much uh, at yeah, this the, point. The thing is, if you play Sinner or something in the quarterfinal, like that's that's a match I want to see again because Sinner Djokovic, yeah. I mean Sinner Alcaraz. Sinner Alcaraz, like, okay. That would, that would be a, probably be a quarterfinal if they played at Wimbledon. Yeah. So now the seedings are are finalized. I think Sinner is the eighth seed. So forget that. And uh, I mean Alcaraz, of course, now he's back to number one for for about three weeks at least. And I, I mean, it doesn't really matter in terms of like number one or two in terms of like you know. Wimbledon, like getting the draw, because yeah. either way, like if if he were to meet Djokovic, it would be in the final. But yeah, but I feel like yeah, just as far as the confidence goes, I think it's it's good. Like to right away wipe right wipe off what happened at RG with 
with that match yeah. and just like put that behind him. Yeah, I, I think Alcaraz is, is the type of player that I can confidently say that he learned out of that experience and that 99% will not happen again. Like, even if it, it's like a Wimbledon, yeah. if they have to meet now and the, um, and the final, the final could be something a little bit more of nerves, but I don't think it was going to be cramping. I think it's going to be maybe like playing hesitantly and not necessarily playing his best. But I feel like it would be like a, a, a thing of like a set. Uh, he wouldn't play his best set as he did like at RG. But um, yeah, I think this, he's not going to cramp again. I think he's, he's going to come up fired up. I think Alcaraz is is the type of player who is who's destined to play number one to 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 be number one if if you will just because of the the way that he feels about the game there's like something there's it is something extra that he knows that he's he's better than anyone essentially at his best he I like the way he comes across a lot because it's it's very much like he backs himself he's really confident at the same time, it doesn't feel arrogant to me because no, yeah, like, it's, it's it's a humble way to, of being like that. So it's it's really good to see, yeah, yeah, and and you know I love seeing that swagger because you don't want to be like on the other extreme where you're just like you know you're just honored to play the big three every single time you step on the court yeah. with them, and then you already lost the first set before you're even on the court. Yeah, um, and it's like it, it can be endearing, like like it is with Casper Root sometimes, but then it also it's like it's like not the best mentality to have, right, in a big match, no. and then also. Then you also don't want to be the other guy who's like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna win Wimbledon and I'm like the favorite. So, it's like, yeah. I, I feel like he has that balance figured out and he has the right yeah. in his corner to like guide into yeah. every experience. Yeah. I think it, it's some sort of like a mentality that's like, um, in a way, if Nick Kyrgios was humble about his tennis, like his honor to beat the the big three in a way, you know what I mean? It's like it's an honor to play you and beat you. So it's like it's. Alcaraz kind of gives off that vibe which is like man I cannot believe that I shared the court with you and I was able to beat you in a sense like there's a dream come true for me to beat you in a final type of thing so I think it's it's kind of it's kind of the vibe that he gives off to me that he's he thinks that he belongs level wise right up there with them at least like on on a given day that he's going to be playing his best and it's not necessarily like achievements wise because that's that's like the long game right you don't necessarily start playing tennis to beat um, Steffi Graf's uh, record and look, like 99% of the players that you're going to face every year during the year, it's not going to be Djokovic. So like, it's yeah, like, like for him, even to go like this year, like 40 and four on the year, like his four losses, it's like, there's only one match that he played the entire year where he lost, like and he wasn't a hundred percent physically the entire way through the match. And it's like, and that was when he was coming back from Barcelona and winning Madrid and Barcelona, that three week stretch. And then he just, he lost to this qualifier played an amazing tactical match that day Fabian Marosian in Rome. But the other the other losses, I mean he lost to Djokovic and Roland Garros in the semis and then he lost to Center in Miami, who played really well against yeah. him. And he was also struggling with some cramps and physical issues there. And then also the one in Dory the one versus Dory in Rio. Yeah. Where he was up a sit in a break and then yeah, and then he had some hamstring issues there. But like it's Yeah. I, I mean <laughs> He's better playing better than he was a year ago. Let's just let's let's yeah. put it that way. Like he's he's a better player than he was then, which is scary. Yeah, it's, it's just his his evolution graph is so steep. Like his curve, his his learning curve is like really. Yeah, yeah. His, and I also want to give props to David Noor because, uh, I mean, like yeah, sure. Really? He's not doing that well. Like after Acapulco, after winning Acapulco, which is like the biggest title of his career, like he. 
what stood out is like in that was was like when he just out physical Rona and Tommy Paul in those semi final final matches. It was like his first five hundred double title, and it was like a really big deal, like just for him to like be back inside the top twenty and then like win that thing, because like like that tournament was a hot, humid, and it was like just just how Demon Orr like wants to play these kind yeah. of matches and just out physical and out grind his opponents like Leighton Hewitt used to do. Yeah. But I feel like he has a good game for grass because he hits the ball really flat. He takes it very early. He likes to come forward. Yeah. Hit on the rise. He's a guy who takes almost every single ball, like inside the baseline and just on the on on top of the bounce because he kind of has to because he's not the biggest guy in the world and he also, like, just doesn't really have that natural firepower from the baseline. So yeah, he has a bit of a yeah. It's to finish at net and he's a very good baller. Yeah. And he's really really fast and yeah. he's like I mean Alcaraz had to be very creative to finish points against him. Yeah. In in both sets, and actually there was a point in this match where I thought, oh, Dimitrov probably can win this first set because Alcaraz was serving at three four, he had to save two break points, and he saved them in like spectacular fa- fashion where like Dimitrov chased down this overhead, and then Alcaraz has this approach, and it was really really windy, and he kind of just just did enough when on his forehand finish, and then and it, I thought Dimitrov might have made that lob, but then it was just long, and I mean if that goes in, and that point restarts, like I just don't know because it's like. I mean, these two played each other, and these are like two of the fastest players on tour playing against yeah. each other in terms of just pure speed. But I, but Sakuras just has a ton more firepower and you know bigger serve and just yeah, just yeah. more. I think Deminor, uh, in a way, it's like for me, it's what Medvedev would be if he likes to volley instead of play three meters back from the baseline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he hits he hits pretty flat, and he's got like you know the strange like bit of technique on the backhand where it's like a very short backswing but he takes it yeah. really early and so it's like on a grass court where it stays low and he gets that penetration through the court yeah it's like it does wonders for him because on clay he doesn't have the firepower it to just sits up <laughs> yeah it's just, it's just it's, it's, in like, a way, it's a rough yeah. surface it doesn't surprise me that he struggled from Akaboko to to now like yeah just based on based on the conditions I, I feel like this is this is where he usually plays his best so yeah. I like I mean is he like a top 10 12 player on the on grass like probably like last year he probably should have made the orders and then he would have faced Kyrgios there at Bumbledon and it's like I feel like he's uh, he's definitely someone you don't want to play for sure on this yes. on this surface and he very he impressed me again by beating Rona because mm. you thought like okay maybe Rona might might get him this time but it, but it was just so much more comfortable on the on the grass there yeah. than than Rona was and Rona was Struggling with some physical issues of his own in that second set, but Dimitrov was just was just so solid, yeah. and more aggressive. I like offensively. Yeah. The one, the the thing that I I find a huge quality of Dimitrov, and I think that's probably some of the that that Spanish uh, mentality in a sense, because his he has a, a lot of like Spanish background. I think he was, used to live in in Spain. For, like, yeah, a long the, he trained time. in Spain. Yeah, exactly. There and his yeah, and it's the the idea that he's. He's ne- he's always determined to win a match, no matter how ugly it gets. Like he he's got like this, his his very consistently, at his like his his ceiling and his floor like are very close in the sense that like he he doesn't really fluctuate a lot like in terms of at his level. He's not gonna play like a horrible set and then he's gonna play like an amazing set. He's gonna play like a great set and then he's gonna play like a not so great set, but it's not going to be like 
horribly awful. Like he's he's always gonna come out, I think, very consistently well. You can always you always know sort of like what to expect from him and what level to expect from him unless something He's like a guy who's like a fifteen like number fifteen to number thirty lock for like the next decade. Like he he's like that type of guy where it's like, yeah, fourth rounds, you know, maybe a quarter final or two, maybe like do still get to like these five hundred finals. Like he's like one of those guys where it's like that's like the litmus test if you want to be a top ten player. Like you got to get through him. Yeah. Like he's especially on especially on the faster courts. That's where he could like maybe punch above his weight. But yeah. And yeah. Maybe have weeks like this. But it's like, but it's like yeah, like yeah. like there's not that much difference because like 2018 to now. Like if yeah. you look at his ranking history and you look at his results, like he's always like either 18, 24, 23. Like and I mean like he has seven titles, six two fifties, one five hundred, and it's like. He, he's he's pretty much gonna win like a title or two every year, and he's gonna be like yeah, in the conversation for like, you know, like a top sixteen seed at a major, like that kind of thing. So yeah, and, like he's he actually hasn't made a Masters one thousand quarter final yet. So that's probably wow. maybe maybe the next his the next, next he made he made a slam quarter final before before that in twenty twenty. But yeah, he's um, what would you see him making that quarter final? I think maybe Canada Cincinnati. Good, yeah, probably like one of the really like probably Cincinnati, like it's it's fairly quick, fast, maybe like a Miami, you know, or Cincinnati, like one of the hardcore yeah. ones for sure. Like, yeah, none of the clay ones. I'd see him like maybe indoors on the in Paris Masters. That's that tournament always gets funky and you just, yeah, the draws fall apart sometimes. Yeah, in, in a way, you could even like go on to win this if the draw opens up enough. So, yeah, I mean, you have new Masters 1000 winners. That's, well, if there is a place to win a Masters 1000, if you're not like a consistent top 10 player, the, yeah, the place is Paris. <laughs> yeah, if you're not Djokovic and you've not won it like six times. Then exactly. Eight finals. But like it's, yeah, I mean, I guess there'll be there'll be opportunities, but I just, yeah. And like, yeah, like a run like this doesn't really surprise me and it doesn't really, like it, it, it it's like, but what he should be doing, let's just say. Exactly. It's, it's pretty, pretty standard, but pretty good week overall, I guess, if we transition over to... Yep. Somebody who else had about like that. Yep. Exactly. The the other person had like a very, very good week. Um, yes, this was another week for Petra. A very own Petra Kvitova, who... Yeah. Every once in a while shows up with her best stand and, and is like, wow, and okay. When, when, when she's at this level... Man, she's can't believe she's style on like it's yeah. like I, you know, I'm watching this match. I'm like, I'm just laughing at how good her tennis is. Like it's so so good in terms of like the first strike tennis, the accuracy and the the precision that she has on her first shot after the serve. I mean, it's just like good luck. Like if she plays like this at Wimbledon, yeah, which is like like that's the biggest thing. Like because if she because every now and then she she has weeks like this, like Eastbourne, Birmingham, Miami earlier this year. Yeah. She's won like thirty-one titles. She's like the the best player to have not not been number one in the world. Yeah, like man, without man. without a doubt, like she's like by miles or ahead like of anyone else. Like, like her resume, her CV is just like it is. It's the best. If you, especially if you take out the slams, and like you and like let's say Venus Williams is not in the picture, like she has the best resume outside of the majors than anyone else active right now. Yeah. Petra Kvitova is, is the is the wait what of the WTA is like you look at everything that she's done is like highest ranking two it's like how is that possible even like, though she, she was like she was like points away from number one. she was like a match away I think like it was 
even as even as late as 2019, I think had she won that third set against Osaka, she would have been number one. Yeah. So that was, I mean, yeah, she she could have had three slams right now, and it's like true. And it's like I I guess grass is like her best surface by far, but yeah, but it just hasn't translated to Wimbledon since 2014. So that's why I'm like yeah. really curious: is she going to play esport next week, and is like how is she going to do it Wimbledon? Those are my yeah. two main questions because it's like I want to put her up there with like Rabakina. Like yeah. as like the top favorite, but like I just don't know. It's just a week in, week out. Yeah. Issue, yeah. Like it's because like oh my goodness, like Donna Vekic like played really really well in this final. Like she played really well. And she lost like two straight like six two seven. Six two seven. And I'm afraid like the second set was very close. Like she was up a break. She was even like maybe the better of the two for like yeah. most of the set. But my goodness, like just like if you if you get a chance like watch that match point, it's like. Pretty absurd. Like I don't know how she hit that forehand and just it curls in and just hits the line and it's like, yeah. yeah. And it, I I could it, like her chances at Wimbledon just because I think Miami is like if we combine Miami and this performance together in one, Miami is like the two week event like a fast court. Um, so she had to do it like in in I think she did six matches. I'm not sure if she was seated. Um. Yeah, she did. And she actually ran yeah. through the same players. She actually beat, like, most of the same players that yeah. she did in Miami. Like, she beat Donna Vekic in Miami. She yeah. beat Alexandra in Miami. Yeah. And, and then, and then she beat, yeah. And then you get, like, Rebecca. Yeah. Uh, but True. To then, close the door on the Sunshine Double. But, yeah, that was... But, and then, like, you get, like, this grass court. So she's definitely showing she, she can play well for two weeks. And then she can also play well on grass. Like, is this going to mean that Wimbledon is going to be good? I'm not sure. I think there is a bigger chance that her level is not going to be as, as great. As you said, like, historically hasn't. But, um, yeah. yeah. It's just, I mean, it's weird. Like, she was winning, but then, then she just played Madrid and the French. But she was very undercooked. Like, she had a foot injury and then just played Madrid. Where she actually always, like, does really well. She's won that thing, like, three times. Then she lost first round in her first round of, of French and then now like goes on this round right here. And she's like decent like, because she had like a really good February and March. Because she also got to the quarters of Indian Wells, I think, and then lost to Sakari there. Hmm. And that's like like I don't know, she would have been in the semis there and then she went on she won Miami and then now this. So it's like I think she's like yeah, she's like in the top ten and She's, in the, she's number six in the race. I wonder what she is in the rankings. Let me check. Uh, yeah. Did Sabalika play? Uh... Number nine in the rankings. Mm, okay. Yeah. She stays number nine, but, but it'll be. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. <laughs> 
interesting to see because she plays Ostapenko in the first round of eSport, and they both they both won eSport in their careers. <laughs> and last year they played each other in the eSport final. Now they're playing each other in the first round, and it's like we'll see if that match even happens. But I just realized Barbara Krichikova just made it back into the top ten. So yeah, maybe the most surprising thing about Berlin, I guess it's not that surprising, just because of what we're seeing in the with the grass and the warm-ups and just the depth of the tour, but yeah. Sabalenka going out early to Kurumatova. Yeah. Rapakina losing to Vekic, which I actually was like, you know, a, a good three-set match, and, like, it's not that much of a shock when you look at what Vekic did, like, the whole week. And then I guess you had Goff losing, you had Kovitova losing. I mean, sorry, not Kovitova. What am I saying? Kovitova won the thing. Uh, who else lost? No, Jabor lost. Jabor lost to Niemeyer in the in the first round. Yeah, which is I guess a difficult draw. Yeah, yeah. I think Jabber is a it's it's in a bit of a hit or miss phase lately. She, she had just come back from injury and played her first tournament in Charleston, which she won, and then never really did like an incredible run again. I think she did well at uh, at the French, but I don't remember exactly why did she she. Yeah, she lost in the quarters to Hadaj Maya, but yeah, oh yeah, that, that was that was, a that good was maybe a match that she should have won. Yeah, I, because like she. Had many chances to win that in straights, and then yeah. ended up losing six one in the third. But you would tell she was just uh, she was short of matches coming in because wait like after Charleston, I, oh yeah, she also played in Stuttgart, they lost in Schwamtek, but then like she hurt her cast. Yeah. So then she had like that injury, and I actually thought That's it was true, right yeah. out playing at the French, but then she she did, and then did pretty. That was that was that was probably an opportunity missed to get to the semis, but it's good that she made the quarters. That's something she hadn't done before, but. Anyways, like I don't know if she's as she's gonna repeat and get to the finals of Wimbledon again. It's 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 a tough ask, but he's definitely still like a top five favorite for sure. And then uh, just realized that Maria Sakari also lost it on the Bekich in the semifinals. Yeah, Not Maria Sakari's thirtieth semifinal, but but yeah, like at this point, uh, semifinals and Sakari is. That's what keeps her in the top ten, isn't it? So. Yeah, I, I saw some jokes actually on Twitter where some someone was like, "Hey, she's living the dream because she's she's not working on Sundays, <laughs> and she's a multi-millionaire." <laughs> well, she that's... found the perfect she found the perfect work-life balance. <laughs> she she got she hacked the system. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, it's pretty know. unfortunate. Like to be fair, like it's like a ten, as a tennis player. Yeah. I mean, she's gonna look back in her career and. The one regret. I like that she can joke about her like herself yeah. on on Twitter. Yeah, and she she's like you know. I mean, there's there's plenty of good good things to to take. There's plenty of positives in her life. So yeah. But, but yeah, it was just one of those really dominant weeks from Kovitova really because she beat Pliskova in the first round, and then she also beat Garcia in the quarters, Alexandrova in the semis, and yeah, and then Bekic in the final. And Bekic is another one who I like to see do really well. Because, um, yeah, like she used to be pretty good in 2019 and was a top 20 player, but then, uh, yes, just suffered a lot of injuries. And and then she really turned her turned around last October in San Diego, uh, where I was I was actually there. She lost to Sviantek in a, in a final in three sets mm. at 500 level in San Diego. And ever since then, her, she's been on the rise, like back inside the top 25 now. Yeah. So it's like... Speaking of Sviantek, she didn't, she didn't play... Uh, she's not gonna play the entire grass season. Did she play a tournament, like a warm up tournament? No, eh? no. She's playing. She's playing this week, upcoming week in Battle Burke. 
Oh yeah, it's true. Uh, for yeah, the two fifty there. Um, uh, interesting. It would been it would have been good if she played this week, but but I also get it because she she just had she just won Roland Garros again, and then she was also at the Rafael Nadal Academy. Yeah, you you wonder you wonder how much she believes she's she can win Wimbledon this but I think our belief is a little higher than it was last year. And yeah. she's probably gonna do a bit better than last year. That's kind of my hunch, just because like yeah, her game is not really made for grass and you don't really look at it like I feel like it's an easier transition for an Alcaraz, but but you look at her, it's like she's so fast. She moves so well that at some point it's gonna translate. Yeah. And I think like last year it was just like a total write off because she was coming off of that 35 match winning streak and yeah like six tournaments one in a row it was just like she was just tired you know like she came yeah. into that tournament just completely undercooked like unprepared and she probably played the worst match of her slam career against Cornet and Cornet played like lights out yeah in that third round but like I I wonder how she's gonna do this week she doesn't even need to win the tournament I would say like two or three matches and then yes. just like yeah yeah, I want. That's the danger. If you go all the way this week and you you win those four matches, and then like you have the quick turnaround. Yeah. But yeah, I would say I think Rybakina is is, I think she's the favorite still. I would place yeah. probably Sabalenka as the second. I'd go Shiantek's third favorite mostly because, because she's number one and how good she is. Like all the things that she that you said. Right. It, the only thing for me is like just just how well is she she's gonna play on grass like on you know I think. It, that's probably going to be the the question for me, but yeah, I think I have the same order as you. And Rabakina is playing again this week, and yeah, in Eastbourne, Sabalenka not really, but and yeah, I mean Sabalenka's had one or two bad losses this year, but for the most part, she's been the best player in twenty twenty three. So, um, yeah, she lost a two set match to Kudermatova and like a tight second set, but. Kurumatova played really well and Sabalenka was just a little bit off. But Yeah. Um we'll see that also she didn't play Wimbledon last year, so yeah. maybe that's like more motivation for her. Other yeah, I think the um there's not a lot of players that take the transition from uh French Open to to grass uh really well. So I think it, it it's especially when you're speaking of Wimbledon, it's very hard to like pick a a warm up tournament and say this is this is the one that's gonna gauge it. I think a lot of it yeah. depends mostly on the how the first couple of matches happen at Wimbledon to actually see like favoritism. Yeah. It's really hard, especially because the grass season is so short. It's, it's just so hard to predict. Yeah, and I think another point I want to bring up is that twenty twenty one. Like I mean, grass is always gonna favor the the veterans, the ones yeah. who are more experienced, the ones who are just. You know, like you said, the the players who are just much more, yeah, like comfortable on the surface because they've played it for over 10, 15 years and their games just translate really well with the first strike tennis and just, like, th this is not a surface like you can just fake your way through, you know? It's yeah. Like, it's, it actually, like, you need, like, a lot of reps. And, and, and the fact is, like, 2020, there was no Wimbledon and there was no grass season that hurt a lot of young players. And then 2021, you had a shorter grass season. Yeah. At least now you have three weeks in between rolling games and rolled in 2021, you had just two. And then in 2022, you also had all those bans for Belarusian and Russian players. And it's like, yeah. so that, that's like three years of like progress that they otherwise probably would have made. At least yeah. they, the ground would be more in terms of 
you know, experience and comfort level, but it, we're, we're kind of blessed in, in, in a mystery. I, I feel like on the women's side, it's maybe more clear because there's also a lot more players that are more comfortable on the grass. You look at like a Jabor, you think like Mohova, you think like, you know, Pushkova with her grass court experience, Kovidova, obviously. Karber and Halep, if they were healthy, but they're they're not in the mix right now. But mm-hmm. like, you know, there's just Jabor. Like there's a lot of, and and then all the big hitters like Ostapenko, Samsonova, Alexandrova. Like you just have so many players who are just more comfortable, more, like, there's just a lot more results that they've had on grass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, if, uh, a, a bit of a point, because you mentioned her name, like, re- very exciting to see Mulhova as the number 16 seed. I think she's, yeah. she's very, really deserved it after a few Grand Slams being unseated. Um, very unlucky for Zachary two years in a row, drawing her in the first round. Uh, yeah, she's a two-time quarterfinalist also at Wimbledon, and yeah. grass is her best surface, even though she got to the finals of yeah. rolling years, which like, reminds me a lot of Barty, but yeah. uh, but I'm a little bit concerned that she's not playing any warm-ups. It and may be, I think she, I think because of the, those yeah. that can just naturally transfer. Yeah, maybe. I think maybe one of the things that I, I think of is that she's so, it seems like she's so injury prone that she might have thought, well, I just played two weeks and my best tennis at the French Open on clay, a very unforgiving surface. Might as well just like take three weeks off and just, I don't know, practice, like chill. Yeah, because and... you don't want to risk getting injured before Wimbledon. And she's... Exactly. Yeah. Where it, where it just said is like her best surface. So I feel like she's, she has like a natural, uh, like a natural link to that surface, like a natural, uh, ability to play on it so yeah I think so actually that would be one of my biggest questions in the draw is which of the top four seeds is gonna is gonna be slated to face Mukova in the fourth round because mm-hmm. her being 16 that means she's guaranteed to play one through four yeah in the in the fourth round itself it could be Iga it could be Sabalenka it could be Rebecca I guess yeah it's like could be could be Pagula Pagula is also gonna be back in action this week Nice, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I mean, so the big mystery is like Kabudua, is she going to play this week in Eastbourne and how is she going to do it at Wimbledon? That's going to yeah. be his takeaway from me. For Wasn't that the question that some for I think you said like who's going to withdraw first, uh, Ostapenko yeah. or, or Kabudua? Yeah, I guess we could be Birmingham where Ostapenko wins, wins another title and this was, this was imp- impressive. Obviously, we know Ostapenko goes through a lot of ups and downs and in between matches and she hits these purple patches where she's unplayable for about nine long 20 minutes 30 minutes and at a stretch because she just goes so big down the line very very often and she yeah. just crushes your second serve and she's just you know not the greatest mover and not the best second serve but everything else when her game is clicking and it's in that gear it's it's uh it's, it's just she straight up believes her opponent so let's just see but yeah so that forehand is just uh it's just me. It's like it, it, the cannon, and she gets yeah. so low, and she's able to just, yeah. Like I, I mean, you think she would get no in that clearance or topspin, but it's just so hard, so flat, so angled. Yeah. It's like a very Del Potro. It, it's just it's just very tough to just read. You're just at the mercy of her tempo the entire match. It's just very yeah. tough to read where which wish she's going to what she's going to do, and she's also very unpredictable when it comes to her mood, her temperament. But yeah. but I will say in this this week she played. Phenomenally well. She did really, really well to reset in many, many matches and came come back from huge deficits. Particularly, there was this one match she played this week. She was out 4-6, love 4, 30-40. Four, 
Like she comes back and and wins, and it's just like, yeah, yeah she's she has um she has the ability that she doesn't use incredibly often, but like yeah. often enough that when she's frustrated, she is able to channel that frustration into actually playing better. So right. it it any as you said, it stuns opponents as well because she starts going down the line, going for broke, um, and and yeah. most not most of the time, but oftentimes she would she will hit the target so and if she starts hitting the target she gets more confident it's, a, it's like and, a, it's a heady yeah. ball too so it's like it pushes not only does it push her opponents back just the weight of the shot because even if she goes hard down the middle mm -hmm. it's like it just knocks you on the back on your back foot so she's taking so much time away from her opponents on the grass where she gets that penet penetration just stays so low on top of it and it's just like i i i, I think grass is her best surface was like mm -hmm. she's won she's gotten to the semis of Wimbledon quarters before last year made the fourth round and numerous chances against Tatiana Maria and then she's wow one Eastbourne and last year she made the final of Eastbourne so those are two 500s and then now she's got this title as well yeah and yeah I mean this week she beat Noskova three sets Venus Williams who we'll talk about later in three sets from a breakdown in the third and then that's Magdalena Frick match which is what I was referring to the four six love four deficit and then she beats Potofova in three sets that's another really good win and then of course the final which I thought was very interesting against Barbora Krachikova Krachikova of course looking for a big result since that Dubai run which was one of the best runs I've ever seen to a 1000 title but so she was she was due for a really big week as well Krachikova uh, she's back inside the top 10 and it was a good week for her but Ostapenko pulls out that was the only match Ostapenko won in straight sets actually in the final against Krichikova, both French Open champions. 7-6, 6-4, but the first set was very, very tight. It was 10-8 in the tiebreak for um, for Ostapenko, and she had to save a set point as well, and both players played very well in the tiebreak. And uh, they were they were mostly just, it was mostly going according to serve um, until the very end when then um, Ostapenko was up 6-4, and Krichikova hits this really good block return when they're really deep and gets defends her way back into the point and then then eventually Ostapenko takes a 10 eight and she was actually up 5-1 in the second set and then uh, Krachikova mounted a nice comeback and got it to 5-4 and then Ostapenko was able to serve it serve it home with two spectacular points in the end but I feel like uh, this was much needed for both players yeah. in terms of a, in terms of a good result and it puts Ostapenko within that realm of uh, being a super dangerous third fourth round opponent for anyone. Yeah. And then Krichika went back and Yeah. In the top ten, but she showed some more fortitude than I'm used to seeing from her. And that was her sixth title as well. So this time, yeah. But yeah, I since you mentioned her, Venus Williams, like what the heck's happening again? I think she's um yeah, something is uh, is on her that she's probably just like let me just she's like got a good. She still can time the ball extremely well. She has really yeah. like her ball striking is still like second to none. This the serve is also really good as always. So. Yeah, like the serve just never left, and then also like yeah, yeah she she just has that uh, like anything that comes her way, she has that champion's mentality where it's like she won't stop fighting until the very last. Point and she was obviously yeah. like hard to to put those matches and yeah. her knees were taped up. She's forty three years old. 
yeah. but it's really a, good to be here. It's it's definitely like a a moment for her that um yeah. Even just the just, fact that she beat Georgie, which is like yeah. seventh, and that, she outlasted Georgie on one knee. Yeah. In three and a half hours. And she got the super comeback against Ostapenko just to take it to the third set, got a breakup, and unfortunately the legs just couldn't take her to the balls anymore, and Ostapenko noticed That's that. not the only thing, it's, that's a big thing, it's the movement, but everything else is golden is new. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if you had won a round or wouldn't do the same kind of fashion that yeah. you did against. Georgia just plays some really inspiring fighting, gritting tennis and scrape out of a first strong match. The tough part is then to be able to back it up and it's a bit of a kind of like an Andy Murray situation although probably more extreme just because she's 43 and she's, yeah very much you know when. and the biggest difference I guess is like she has the firepower whereas Andy Murray still has a lot of the movement but yeah. the lacking a bit of the offensive mindset but yeah true you know so I mean yeah that that's going to be like one of those feel good stories in the first four days of Wimbledon yeah that uh, and like yeah, deservedly so because yeah, yeah she's done a lot for the game and this is her thirtieth year on tour and it's just like imagine being winning five Wimbledon's and then being a second best in your family like it's yeah this is crazy like if your sister only wasn't Serena Williams <laughs> yeah yeah speaking of good stories as well we have a uh, one less one less shot at a at a tournament and at Contavate announced her retirement mm-hmm. she's been up a little bit in my uh but she announced an injury in her back which is career ending essentially and she's like what 27 years old and, yeah and uh, it's a Had, it's she was it's number two yeah or number two uh it's a real shame she used to have like a really powerful game like a very um competitive mindset as well was yeah. the best player on tour like in essentially 2021 i think yeah, the second half of 2021 is when yeah. you are an absolute terror in the world. Went yeah. to the final of the year in championships, won like four titles in between, like was like winning, like did one of the best indoor players we've ever seen in the last 10 years, no yeah. question. Um, And uh, it was really unfortunate because it's like she has lumbar disc uh, degeneration in her back. So like that's like super painful. You can't do any kind of training or competition and it's... Um, and obviously, like, she was a trailblazer in her country as well for Estonia. Or in yeah. High Canepi, I guess. Yeah. The, the Estonian flag. But, like, it, it, it was sad because, obviously, you, you know, if you watch Breakpoint, you'll see the the final, you'll see the Serena's farewell at the U.S. Open, and you'll see that she played Serena in the second round there. And, yeah. And she got very emotional in terms of dealing with the crowd. And uh, that situation was like really tough for her and made her and she had a line where it's not where she's like I don't know if I can keep doing this anymore um, and yeah. so I feel like that moment combined with everything she was going through that year because last year was really really unfortunate because she started the year very well after Australia and she won tournaments indoors got to the final of Doha 1000 and then lost to Eva and she was world number two like you know, she was very much like second best player in the world and then she gets long COVID yeah, and that derails her for yeah. for basically four months, and then she starts having back problems repeatedly, and and like we knew at the U.S. Open when she was playing Serena, it's like on paper she's number two because of the points, but yeah, you knew like her physical state and where her game was at, like it was, she was on a downward descent at that point already. I didn't think she was going to retire, so that was very very shocking to hear. But yeah, but obviously she's just one of the best players, uh, 
of the past like three years and also like she's very popular like you could see the reactions from all of her that's what really got me also is like the reactions from like Jabor Sabalenka like all those main top rivals that she had they all like loved in it and they were like best friends with her so yeah yeah it's a it's going to hope and see that she plays a tournament and it goes out on her own terms it would be a shame if she had to retire from a match due to that injury but I mean, yeah, hopefully she's able to stay healthy for Hopefully she can go in there yeah. and then play a really nice round at Wimbledon or like however long. I say round because I don't know how long it'll be, but like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She can play, like, get a couple of matches, maybe one significant, maybe one win, I think would be a really Without good... Without hurting herself so much to where, like, yeah. she's not able to move the rest of her life, but I don't know. Oh, yeah, exactly. No, for sure. I mean, and she knows, she knows what she's doing. She... If she's playing another tournament, it's probably because she she can do it at least one more time. It's, so it's hopefully, really sad for sure because yeah. she's she's just twenty seven and you feel like she she had so much left to yeah. give to the game and yeah, especially nowadays when like players are going over like thirty mid thirties playing. Yeah, this is just like the very peak and prime of her her career. Like you know, so yeah. and she had she had a pretty pretty fun game to watch like I definitely enjoyed the the matches that I watched in 2021 and early 2022 where like how early she was taking the ball liked her backhand I liked her, her competitive mindset she really got so much out of herself in those six seven months and even before that of course so she she still had a really good career but yeah obviously so probably had so much more to give that's like this, this is the most unfortunate thing about tennis it's just so brutal where it's like how many players can you name in the last 10 12 years that are like what ifs that like could have done so much more but we're just stopping exactly week in week out grind of the tour and injuries and now physical game has become probably a whole nother podcast but anyways yeah so we obviously wish and had contemplated the best in the next chapter of our career yep 100 percent. and wishing a final indian wells a good farewell at the tournament so uh, not Indian Wells, uh, Wimbledon. Sorry, yeah. I don't know why I had that in my head, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, um, um, yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah. And then of course we also had Hala, which was won yeah. by Alexander Bublik, one of the best runs to a Hala title I've ever seen because he beat uh, Rublev in the final. He beat he beat uh, Sinner, via albeit via retirement, but he was still playing very well. Yeah. And yeah, he beat Zverev along the way, he beat Jan Strouf, and he beat Borna Chorich. So these are all Masters 1000 finalists at the very least. Yeah. And they're all inside the top 22 of the rankings, and he just dismantled Chorich. He pretty handily beat Zverev in the semis and just took him apart with all of his variety and his unpredictability and big serving. Yeah. And then he just, uh, and then played a very gritty match against Struff, one of the best grass court players right now. Hmm. And I'd say players this year in general because he also made the Madrid final and you know nearly won the Stuttgart final against Tiafo last week so he was in form and then and then yeah, the other wins over Sinner and Rublev the Rublev final was in, was very impressive too because I thought once Rublev won the second set that he'd probably be the favorite to win the third yeah. just because I, I was like okay he's going to just seat back into this he's more reliable mentally maybe but Bublik was just absolutely on fire with his serve. He had 21 aces in this final. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. When when Bublik's serve is, is firing, and I, I don't think it matters much because, like, uh, like how his mentality is, like, in rally, just because 
he's he's able to just like win a few points and just be like, okay, I I think I got the groove now. And it, and he probably... hit twelve double floats, but then but that's because he went for he goes for broke on yeah. the second serve, and and they pay off a lot of the times because you don't know when he's gonna go one thirty or when is he gonna go. It, it's a mind game as well. Like... He just you just don't know. And then he does that thing where he stands in really close to the service box and he just blocks the forehand return and then yeah. retreats back to the baseline and then and he it's smart because he kind of baits the guy coming forward at, into the net and they have to hit a pretty good approach to get it by him because he has underrated speed when he's motivated <laughs> and then he can just break his forehand cross court this thing but but that's the key thing for me this week it's like he's motivated now and it's, it's he's back on the grass where like he can play shorter points and he can yes yeah. like utilize his kind of curious like skill set to the best degree because like when he's on clay then he hates clay and then he also just was on like a 10 match losing streak during the year but my main takeaway is like I for the longest time was just so not invested in this guy yeah because I'm like why should I be invested in you if you're not invested in getting the most out of your career like most of the times he was just like he was he was taking it like a job you know it was kind of like yeah you know, he was like, I know about this thing, but I'm just kind of trying. Yeah, to I mean, which is which is fine. It's just it's like fine because like he's a top, he was a top fifty guy. He was, yeah. But you know, and he still made a couple of quarterfinals. He did one one title in Montpellier last year, beating Zverev there too. But it's like, it's not so much. I just want to see. I just I just wanted to see him locked in, focused for one beat, yeah. super motivated, and that's that's what he got. And I just hope he does that more often. So yeah. that's. Well, that's he's he's got a really solid opportunity of doing something at, at Wimbledon as well. Like I, I don't know how. How the five set format uh, affects his mentality because the match goes long and maybe that's not something that he enjoys much. But who knows? Like, like if he, he also just totally throws the opponents off when he just takes off a set and then just <laughs> goes all in for another one and then just like he can he can kind of play the format to his advantage if he's smart about it. I think exactly because yeah. he's gonna have a few dips where he's just not gonna where he's not gonna be as motivated. But I feel like I mean last year he played a good match in the third round against Tiafo. Yeah. To like entertaining players and then. And the year before that, he lost to Harkach in the third round. So he's never been past the third round of Wimbledon, but this feels like the best time. He's playing the yeah. best tennis of his career right now. So this weekend. Yeah, I wouldn't want to face him in the third round if I wanted to see it's definitely. But the only thing also is the, it's not anything like scientific or technical or anything, but it's the, it's the Hala curse. Well, which yeah. is, if you're not named Federer and you win in Hala, you lose first round every Wimbledon. So all eyes on that first round Wimbledon match. I mean, this is just like, this is one of those quirky stats, like since 2011, all the players have won. Yeah. Like Ugo Bear, like last year, Hercotch, Chorich, the year before that, Kondra, yeah. or like players have won. I also realize. It also speaks to how different Holograss is compared to Wimbledon. True, yeah. But I think that's that's the other takeaway also. Because, I mean, Federer just had a grass court game that was just very valuable and he was just, you know, he's one of the all-time bits you can adjust anywhere, but that's, that's better, yeah. Yeah, that's better. That's not mere mortals. So, yes. So I think it would be interesting to watch his, his first round for sure. But but also the other thing is he hit twelve double faults in this match. Yeah. And he won forty eight percent of his second serve points. So that means if you take away those twelve double faults, he only lost five points on his second serve. For Rublev, it was he was down in the early forties, and I think that's what like Rublev. He didn't play a very he didn't play a bad match. He did actually did very well to even it up to one set all. But then, Rub- uh, and then it was fifteen forty. Love won, and Rublev played two very solid points. Got a Dundee, and then Goblik just absolutely attacks Rublev's first serve. And Rublev actually hit a spot very well in the first serve, but like Goblik just nails a return and then hits a backhand cross winner. And then on the next one, he says 
he, he does something similar and then he just goes on on offense with his forehand and then gets the break and it's like wow too good you know and then he just serves out the rest of the game but in the final game he hit three double faults wow i'm not sure if it's nervous or he just and think, one he's yeah and then won a couple of other points uh and then on match point he hit a second serve ace <laughs> the close to alexander bowling thing i think to do yeah, I have a feeling that Bublik is like one of those players that like plays his um, when he's like tight and he's like nervous, like he plays it off as if like he doesn't care, like try to play cool and like goes off for like those huge second serves. Maybe just try to relax or just subconsciously try to relax or something like that. But I mean, you get to a final and then you win. It's not like you don't care about tennis, right? It's like he wants to do well. I'm not sure he realizes how much he wants to do well or how much that he wants to give to to the game or anything like that. But yeah, we'll see. Also, I just wanted to say that I realized that they they changed the trophy at Halle. So it's not it's not the same trophy anymore. Maybe they want to break the curse. So <laughs> new trophy. Oh, yeah. No curse, yeah. Break the curse. Yeah. They always find it crazy how the Queen's trophy is so huge. Exactly. It's like bigger than the majors and like, it almost looks like a montage when right? it looks look, looks like Photoshop at some point, but yeah. I mean, you win a tournament, you win a trophy. It's like I don't care how big it is. Like uh, the only thing that if we're just talking about trophies too much is that like the only thing that I don't like over very much is those those very um, artistic trophies. I mean, I am I a big favorite of a. Uh, a big fan of um, classic cups, you know, like give me Australian Open, Roland Garros, U.S. Open any day, Wimbledon, but like mm-hmm. all the other trophies that don't really look like anything is like sculptures or the ones that like are just a name written on it. It's just the one that Tiafo got. I, I'm not a fan at all. <laughs> so yeah, you know. Then there's also like the Madrid Open trophy, which just looks like yeah, it's getting interesting by the year <laughs> yeah for sure but um but yeah we got a good we had an interesting week this week i mean you have wimbledon qualifying and then you have four other tournaments but maybe the talk is all about the draw on friday and i like how they do the draw after the qualities are done yeah that's nice. so like yeah that's just it's so much better i should like all this thing should do that but mm. But that'll come out on Friday, and then of course he also for Fritz. I think he's the top seed in East Barn, and then Sitsipas is the top seed in Mallorca, where he won it last year. So it could be an important week for both of these guys because they had the same schedule last year, and then they ended up winning the title, and then Fritz obviously came pretty close to beating Nadal in the quarterfinals, and then Sitsipas lost that contentious match to Kyrgios. Yeah. The third round, where I felt like the winner of that would probably go on and you know get to the final weekend. So yeah, it could be an important week for those two, but. And then on the women's side, I think it's an important week just to see how Eva looks. Yeah. Just like how, how she's keep adjusting to the grass, mainly that'll be what I'm looking at. And then we'll see what happens with the, how many players actually want to go all the way in eSport because it, it's a 500. And, yeah, you know, that's the tricky thing about putting a 500 the week before a major because even if you want to withdraw, you like, either you just go for it and you withdraw or you just go all in and you play that week and that's sometimes not the best. Wimbledon, but yeah, but you would understand why they're doing it because 500 points is, is a lot of points. So, yeah, uh, and the paycheck is probably really good as well. So, yeah, so, about that. so for some people, it's like, yeah, it, it makes more sense. 
then you need to lose first rounder Bolden, but you also get a pretty good paycheck. So, uh, yeah, yeah, all right, all right, yeah. I think that covers everything. We went to all the four tournaments, had a bit of a rant about trophies. Well, this is yep. mostly just me, but anyways, um, yeah. Thank you, for, thank you for listening. Thanks much for uh, the talk. Uh, we'll be back hopefully with the a Wimbledon draw preview um, if we can because Sherman does start like two weeks after not two weeks but two days after the draw um, but yep. we'll see how that goes and um, we'll try to keep doing it um, more often as well uh, make sure that you follow us on uh, YouTube as well you can subscribe now we're going to post those videos up uh, for every podcast now you're going to be able to follow us um, in our terrible webcam uh, quality but it's, it's here <laughs> but yeah thanks if you're watching us on YouTube Props to you. Thanks so much for the subscribing and the liking and the commenting. And if you're just yeah. listening on the podcast, you can always chat with us on Twitter. Uh, we're at Tennis and Bagels. Vansh um, is at Vansh V2K. I'm at Rollingberg. Andre Owen, again, not here, but he's enjoying his life now. And uh, I think he's in Australia still. But um, yeah. Yep. So um, yeah. Really, really good reason to uh, not be here right now. He's also 16 hours away, which is quite huge. But um uh, the different the time zone difference so owen hope you're having fun and uh chat with us all on on twitter owen's by the way tennis nation um don't forget to give him a follow as well and uh, we'll see you in the next episode thank you very much see ya Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.